0: Welcome to the Michelle Mial Show, your A through Z, covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between. It's Thursday, so you know what that means. We're here at the Commonwealth Club with the beautiful view and the very beautiful John Zipper. <laughs>
1: <laughs> One of those is true.
0: John, thanks so much for joining us here as our co-host, and always uh, thanks so much for the Commonwealth Club for having us here and being inclusive of LGBTQ thought leaders, that's what the show is all about. Our special guest today is by phone. We're very grateful that he's taken the time out of his afternoon to speak with us. He's professor and historian, Dr. Martin Duberman, and he's got a new book out, Has the Gay Movement Failed? I mean, the title in itself perked my my ears, my eyes, my interests, and I was intrigued right then and there. This is a question that um, I, I haven't asked you know, verbatim in those words, has the gay movement failed? But I have been asking, where are we? The movement, the gay rights movement, as it applies to right now, the political challenges that we're facing. All right, let's start with this question. I mean, because it was kind of a question that is in the back of my mind. But for you, what made you want to write this book?
2: (laughs) Well, uh, it's been a long time since my discontent with the movement and its direction began Uh, I was very active in the early years of the movement way back in the the early 1970s Uh, and it seems to me that at that point uh, the gay movement had what I would call a radical agenda Uh, since then that agenda Uh, has slowly disintegrated uh, and we've now become a movement that I think is accurately described as utterly mainstream. Uh, We're asking to be assimilated into a society that many of us who identify as radical or liberal do not consider a just society. Uh, And we're dismayed that uh, the movement to which we gave so much time, energy, and hope uh, seems to have betrayed itself.
1: Dr. Duberman, maybe a good point uh, right now would be to uh, define what you mean by the movement, because I think different people will kind of define it and include different people and different groups within it. So when you talk about the movement, who are you referring to and what groups?
2: Okay, well, uh, in the early years, uh, immediately after the Stonewall riots, uh, the, uh, the group that was most prominent uh, was the Gay Liberation Front, GLF. Uh, soon after that, uh, the Gay Activists Alliance arose, and those were the two major configurations uh, by the mid 70s, we had the National uh, Gay Task Force, subsequently uh, re entitled uh, the National Lesbian and Gay Task Force, which it should have been from the beginning, uh, and that's how we know it today. If we jump up to the present day, uh, the most prominent uh, of the organizations uh, is the Human Rights campaign, uh, though the task force still exists, Lambda Legal Defense, which also initiated uh, in the my guess, mid-70s, uh, and there are a number of other organizations. There are also, of course, all kinds of local organizations, uh, and in fact, to the extent the current movement uh, could be called radical still. Uh, that's to be found uh, pretty much only on the local level.
0: Mm, mm-hmm.
2: Groups like Song, uh, the Audrey Lord Project, Fierce, right, uh, the Sylvia Rivera Law Review, etc. I don't mean Law Review. I mean Law Project.
0: Yeah, I want to. I want to take us back. and just kind of walk us through, um, you know, the timeline, because the book does start, it starts off by talking about GLF and some of these uh, organizations, either loose or officially organized before we get to HRC. I mean, HRC, we could talk for hours about HRC and, and, you know, their contributions to our movement today. Um, But going back, I think you do a great point in talking about just kind of the issues that we stood upon back then yes as lgbtq people we more than likely were more radical in our you know social positions say for example war uh you know um capitalism we probably stood more for unions and labor organizing those types of issues i mean well,
2: so race race and gender uh, were were highlights of the early glf movement
0: i see race so for example you you did talk about race and i i had always thought from my readings that race had always been a problem in our movement To begin with and i think that that coincides with the history of you know what racial inequality is in america in general it doesn't surprise me today if we were going to talk about the movement and 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 be very specific about something like race that we would you're right like we haven't maybe we haven't done enough in what we thought we would do back in the 70s where we're at today but i guess what i'm trying to what i'm trying to say is um, I'd like for you, Professor, to, to kind of talk about how maybe our poli- political uh, ideologies have shifted because you also throw in marriage equality, and that seemed to be what, in your words or through, through the book, that seemed to be kind of when things started to shift for the LGBTQ community.
2: Yeah, I, I, I think going back roughly 15 to 20 years, well, actually, it would be more coherent, I think, if I, if I go back even further. Uh, what happened during the 1970s, in, at least in my reading, uh, is that uh, the country as a whole faced uh, an increasing economic depression, uh, and many people who had devoted a lot of time uh, to political activism Uh, simply had to hold back or withdraw uh, because they were literally trying to put food on the table uh, and they had no extra time available for political work. Uh, Also, uh, you see the same thing happening in the feminist movement during those years. It's almost exactly the same years, by which I mean from 1969 to 1972, uh, roughly, both the gay and the feminist movements were at the high watermark of their radicalism. But subsequently, both movements simultaneously began to drift toward the center. And all, all the reasons that go into that, I think, are complex. Uh, and would probably take more time than we have. But what is very clear is that in the last 15 to 20 years, uh, the gay agenda has been overtaken almost entirely by the two issues of gay marriage uh, and gays serving openly in the military. And to me, that development is highly regrettable. In the early years of the movement, uh, far from asking permission to kill, quote, the enemy on an equal basis, uh, people were arguing against American imperialism and against war. Uh, So the positions have been all but completely reversed. Marriage, too, in the early years... Uh, there was considerable scorn of the idea of lifetime monogamous pair bonding. Uh, those were considered bourgeois notions and institutions. Uh, and we viewed ourselves as radical outsiders determined on a complete renovation uh, of these old, old-fashioned uh, notions and institutions. So uh, those of us who still identify as radical are not at all happy with uh, the turn of events. Now what we're asking for essentially, and have, have been for the last 20 years, is please let us in. We are really just like you, so there's no reason to keep us out except for this, this insignificant matter uh, of sexual orientation. Uh, and that whole, that whole stance of we're just folks, uh, I, I find appalling. Uh, first of all, we're not just folks. We have a different history. Uh, we have a history of oppression. Uh, the result is we have a whole different set not not a whole, uh, but in important ways, we have a different set of values and perspectives uh, on institutions like marriage and the family. Uh, and those values and perspectives are not important for us, not only important for us to hold on to, but also important for mainstream America, heterosexual America, to hear about and learn from That kind of missionary zeal you know has long since departed from the movement along with the principles that we once stood for.
1: Can I ask I mean isn't it a little unfair to uh, what to, to, to take the gay movement to task for this when what you're really talking about was or at least I think what we really saw in the country was pretty much radical groups across of any type in the country from the late 60s to the early 70s. I mean, that was a time when you had a flourishing of of radical groups. And those of all either shifted to the center or grown and become more mainstream or whatever. I mean, the country is not what it was in 1970. Is it really fair to take uh, HRC and gay marriage to task for that?
2: I mean, our our topic of the day, at least as I understood it, was uh, to talk about the gay movement uh, and why I, for one, think it has failed, that is, when measured against its its initial agenda. Uh, You're quite right, of course, Uh, that whole ethos, that whole liberatory spirit, which characterized the country from the mid '60s to the early '70s uh, that has largely disappeared. Uh, no matter where we look, at the gay movement or, or anywhere in the culture, uh, but as I as I said earlier, and, and I really I guess should stress more uh, is that. This new generation that's coming up now, both gay and straight and everything in between, uh, is uh, where I do find considerable hope that that something like the original agenda of both feminism and the gay movement will finally find adherence again. Uh, Because everywhere you look in the country, for example, the resistance of the Trump administration is being staffed, not exclusively, but largely by people in their <clears throat> 20s and, and their 30s. So, you know, while I'm unhappy about what's happened to the agenda of the gay movement, uh, I certainly haven't given up all hope uh, that this country is going to see another Reversal, only this time, back in the direction of renovating these institutions and, and these these ancient inequities relating to race, gender, and class.
0: Dr. Zimmerman, I'd like to draw on your own personal experiences. I mean, you know, you've uh, you're in your mid eighties, and a lot of what you're talking about, you have your personal experiences as well. And so, to kind of ask that question of the original agenda, um, that I think I think if we start from there as well, it'd be a better understanding. Because for me, I, I got to read the book, and I understood from what the original agenda was. We were a little, a lot more uh, open about being radical. And now, with marriage equality, with with those, or you know, the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, being able to serve the military, being a part of mainstream the our radical agenda may not be as obvious as it once was i guess in the 70s um let's talk about that original agenda I mean, you had covered some of the topics but you know for example you talked about uh, how gay liberation front uh, members had radically protested the American Psychiatric Association, which then got the APA to um, to to, uh, I I guess, turn back on the idea that, you know, homosexuality was a an illness. Are we are we saying that, you know, we're just not doing radical things like that anymore? Do we need to be more uh, more radical in our strategy today? Like chaining ourselves to the White House or uh, you know, even protesting against our own, such as Democratic candidates who say we support marriage equality, but they're not doing enough. Maybe that's that's what we're trying to get at. Maybe that's what you're trying to say.
2: Well, some of us don't uh, support mm-hmm. marriage equality. Uh, I, I mean, I, I, I don't want to get us off on a tangent in terms of of what you're interested in, but uh, I guess I'm not really clear what it is specifically that you're asking me.
0: Well, I think you you call yourself a radical uh, liberal, and 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 radical liberal for someone who you know has been there twenty, thirty years ago versus someone today. I think today they call themselves democratic socialists or Bernie Kratz or whatever you want. To, whatever the, whatever the media is trending or hashtagging for folks who have a much more radical agenda. So I'm just trying to pull, you know, context and 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 compare, maybe a lot of what you're saying is I think I think our ideals are still there. Um, and the yes the this the the radical uh, Opinions are localized as you opened up with there are more non non-profit organizations or grassroots organizations who are doing the work Versus a quote-unquote national movement like HRC But I think there's more of these grassroots organizations that you know we're just We're just not necessarily talking about it or not making it into the news
2: Well again all i all I can say in response is that uh, if anyone thinks that issues relating to race and class uh, have been resolved in this country uh, is living in a dream world uh, the poverty line in this country currently is a year for a family of four. And the last figures I saw, something like 45 million Americans are living at or below the poverty line. Uh, And the percentage of people of color uh, who fall into that category is far higher than the percentage in the population at large. Uh, the inequities that profoundly characterize our culture currently uh, are not only deeply entrenched, but they are expanding. Uh, one problem, the only the only problem I see really, is a s significant one with these local radical groups uh, is that, uh, and some of this may be that I simply don't know enough about them, uh, but uh, I, I would be, you know, I, I think what's needed currently uh, is no longer single-issue politics like gay rights. What we need is a coalition of people who, uh, I don't care what they call themselves. They don't have to call themselves radical. But at least people who are aware of these deep inequities in our society uh, and how much suffering uh, is going on in the country among vast uh, swatches of the population. Uh, If we would somehow, nobody really knows how, but we should at least be talking about this now, and we're not. But if somehow we could combine our forces, those of us who are on the outs, whether we, if because of sexual orientation uh, or economic inequity uh, or because we're trans people uh, or gender nonconformists in general, uh, if somehow uh, we could combine our forces, we would have a much greater leverage uh, in terms of not only passing the kind of legislation that would meet our, our goals, uh, but really and substantially uh, shifting the direction of the country
1: when when does folk I mean issues of obviously income inequality have, have, have indeed been you know front and center in the news for for a number of years now especially for those of us here in California um, but also issues of you know racial uh, racial uh, inequity racial violence race, you know violence against African American men in particular um, and I'm, I guess I'm maybe putting up a bit of a, a just a, a kind of a devil's advocate thing. I'd interested to see what, what you have to say. Um, you know, a lot of times when you bring up these issues and you really get people talking about them, they don't turn around and vote for the radical left viewpoint. Sometimes they vote for Donald Trump. They vote for a demagogue who, you know, says he'll, he'll solve these things. Um, how do you get, how does, whether they go by a term radical or not, but how do people of a radical viewpoint communicate to that wider group of people who are not radicals would never consider themselves radicals, but you need their votes in order to get to the point where you can legislate stuff. How do you make that connection?
2: Uh, that's an awfully good question, and I wish I had an answer for it. Uh, I don't. Uh, one major problem, I think, is that, and I write about this in the book, uh, the, the, those who do call themselves Lefties, they're on the left. Uh, there are any number of groups. They, uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm using this as an example of how difficult it is to answer your question, mm-hmm. because it's so hard to find ways of uh, of mobilizing these groups so that they work together. Uh, the fact is that on the left, and this is true historically as well, uh, on the, quote, heterosexual left, uh, there is, I am convinced, uh, a profound, if unacknowledged, homophobia that is alive and well. Uh, in, in writing that book, I read a lot of the recent literature that's emerging by uh, books uh, by young self-described radicals uh, who are themselves self-described as being straight. Uh, and when they talk about, they do talk about coalitions uh, uh, among the oppressed, uh, but they almost always either fail to mention or, uh, Or certainly even if they mention they fail to dwell on the potential contribution that might be made by gay radicals to this coalition or the gay community as a whole. Because it isn't only gay radicals uh, who have a somewhat different perspective on issues like marriage and the family and and friendship and monogamy and, and, and so forth. Uh, so, you know, one unacknowledged problem uh, in, in trying to form a viable coalition uh, is that homophobia, alas, is not only alive and well in the population at large, but I'm afraid it's also alive, though largely unacknowledged, uh, by those who describe themselves. Uh, as, on, as on the, the left, uh, t- take a publication like Jacobin, for example, which is the, the hip-hot new uh, left-wing publication, uh, which I dutifully read. And n- not only was there rarely a mention of uh, gay people, uh, but there was re- rarely a mention of feminists. Uh, it was like both issues uh, were not considered relevant to the new left, the, today's new left, uh, which is primarily focused on economic issues. And God knows, economic issues need our attention desperately. Mm. But economic yeah. issues are only the are not the only issues right. uh, that that require our addressing them you know, just as quickly as we can.
0: Yeah, and we've talked about it a lot here in the program, and I think the point of bringing in fresh voices... Is That uh, a lot of these issues that we're concerned about today are intersectional um, professor before we open it up to our audience for questions uh, I want to say this I acknowledge that the book has a makes a lot of great points that definitely spoke to me I think if you were to ask me as the gay rights movement failed I couldn't answer that question from a general perspective, but I think parts of it. Did fail. I mean, when you had a very small group of folks who started out um, and were members of GLF and they were all cisgender, white, gay men who started it, I would imagine that even if their agenda were inclusive of issues like economics or race, that they couldn't possibly be as inclusive as they could be if. Even black gay men didn't feel comfortable in, in joining GLF and a lot of these organizations that started out even throughout our entire history up until now. And I think where we're at today, and, and you make this point at the end of the book, is that a lot of us uh, who are addressing the inequalities that may have been a part of the agenda years before are kind of writing our own pathways today. For example, Black Lives Matter was started by queer black people uh, or women, you right? I think yeah. you know the founders are if uh, two out of the three, three yeah. um you know even those leading the anti-gun violence movement, a you know, uh, uh, one young person from Parkland, the Emma Parkland Gonzalez. shooting, Emma Gonzalez is a bi-latinx woman. Yes. I think we're we're Writing those and it doesn't may not you know be the movement in itself uh, but I think you're also saying that I, I want to get to the part where you do talk about being hopeful with the younger generation
2: Okay, you want to talk about that? Well,
0: I, I want to make, I want, to, what I was trying to do was support your point. And I just gave you, you know, just what the, the book is about because with the audience here, and I did get a chance to read through it this weekend. Um, I wanted to make sure that people understood that it wasn't just answering this question through the title, has the gay rights movement failed? I wanted to give some perspective even for myself. Like, it's a very general question. There are certain parts of it that that definitely has failed. But we are, in my opinion, at the very end, in being the hopeful part, um, we, we are moving in the right direction. That the, the movement may not be this big general thing anymore, and that there are plenty of us in the, the community who may not have been a part of the first initial stages of our movement are now creating the movement for ourselves, especially queer people of color, especially women, women in the LGBTQ community, and I should actually say transgender. The transgender <coughs> community is absolutely a part of the movement today in driving the radical agenda.
2: Yeah, I mean, I hardly know where to start, but
0: uh. (laughs) Yeah, well, no, the book, I bet, is going to trigger different things for very different people I think many of us, especially as you get older in age And you've been there for the women's rights movement You've been there for the civil rights movement The gay rights movement That question, has the gay rights movement in itself Is going to have a very different meaning for every single person that's what I'm trying to say. I'm not trying to say that you, uh, as a professor, historian, someone who has you know gone through all the experiences all these years, are trying to answer that for us. I think you just bring up this question in which we're examining ourselves right now, right now in this very pol- politically challenging time.
1: I, I would just focus that more, if I may, yeah. On what what is your take on the younger folks these days and. Are they a continuation of this mainstreaming movement, or do you see like the Emma Gonzalez and the Black Lives Matter as a course of hope uh, for getting a little bit closer to what you want?
2: Well, I think a lot of different. There are a lot of different trends mm-hmm. that are happening simultaneously. Uh, I think there's a real split between the national LGBTQ organizations like the Human Rights Campaign. Uh, and what's going on on the ground, as it were, uh, with groups like SONG in Atlanta. Uh, SONG is, without question, you know, deeply engaged uh, with movements of race and class. Uh, but m- what I'm writing about is primarily, uh, though I do deal with the local issues, but I'm primarily writing about uh, what's happened to our national organizations. Uh, they are utterly mainstream. Uh, they are devoted to gaining greater access to the society as it currently exists. They are not devoting their energies to changing that society, and especially not uh, in regard to racial and class inequalities. So without, you know, without denying uh, the promise of what's happening on the ground with groups like Song, uh, not only do I appreciate their work, uh, but such hope as I still have resides wholly in their work. Uh, But the fact is that these national organizations, I mean, the la- the last time I, 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 this this may now be way off, but t- the number, I mean, uh, the annual budget of, of the human rights campaign, the last I heard, is something like $20 million.
1: That's almost what I make every what, year.
2: <laughs> what, what that means, not, whereas Song is, you know, ba- barely able to support uh, a small staff. Yeah. Uh, with... And that what that in turn signifies. I, I, I hate to say it, and I, I hate even more to believe it. But I think what that signifies is that the human rights campaign does, in its limited agenda, represent what the large majority of gay people in this country want. They wanted exactly what the agenda was. The ability to serve openly in the military uh, and to have the state sanction their relationships through marriage—if you—if you you look at it through that filter, it's a very discouraging picture. uh, Because where does this twenty million or whatever the hell it is? Come from? I mean, I'm sure some of it comes from foundations and from corporations, mm-hmm. uh, but I think a lot of it comes from gay people themselves. Uh, and I'm not hearing any protests from HRC's constituency about its agenda.
0: Yeah, like HRC has that some I'm wealthy donors. Is from yeah, these local, there's about groups. five of them. <laughs> they, yeah. Like no, I and I appreciated the book and kind of calling out HRC again, like I could spend an hour talking about HRC Where's the money going? And I never I'd felt, you know, and I'm, I'm 36. So I don't have a lot of experience, but um, When HRC came into the movement itself I hadn't really actually felt like HRC spoke for me, but I understood them to be a force uh, to be reckoned with when it came to the fight for something like yes marriage. Let's open it up to our audience um, for questions. Okay. Dr. Duberman, uh, I'm not 36. I'm more in your age range. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but something you I'm said sorry, a couple I, I of didn't times. Hear that. Uh, <laughs> I said I'm
1: not I'm in your age range. So
2: Okay, welcome we ha-
1: We have some stuff in common. Um, I do have a question, however, because a couple of times you mentioned something about marriage equality as though that were not to be
0: desired. Does that signal to me that you oppose marriage? Monogamy?
2: (laughs) You make it sound like a major sin. Uh,
0: You interpret it however
2: you wish. (laughs) Whether or not lifetime monogamous pair bonding uh, is the ideal social and sexual arrangement uh, depends on your view of human nature. Uh, and we could argue about that you know, for eons and still not resolve it. Uh, mo- most of the reading that I've done suggests that not only is monogamy not natural to human beings, but there are almost no known species where monogamy uh, is the dominant pattern. Uh, Bruce Badgermill wrote a book, it's now probably 10 years old, uh, demonstrating quite conclusively uh, that though orangutans are monogamous, uh, the vast majority of primate species are not, and we are primates. Uh, I le- I leave you to draw the conclusion.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah. Tell us a bit, we've been talking about where the movement went. Tell us a bit, especially for our younger audience members, the movement, when you would think it was at its peak, when it was, or at least as close to functioning you know, the way you would have wanted it to I assume it was in that period of late '60s, early '70s. Tell us about some of the ways it did things, the, the ways that it, it tried to tackle these broader issues, and, and give us a sense of what you're saying was lost.:
2: There was a great deal of conflict within GLF uh, about these issues. Uh, I, I, it, I didn't mean to suggest, and maybe I did, that, you know, uh, GLF was wholly unified uh, in its demand for r- racial and uh, gender equality. Far from it. Uh, I mean, the women who were involved in GLF uh, were, f- were fighting an ongoing battle that was never resolved uh, with the gay men in GLF. Uh, Some of the gay men uh, acknowledged that their feminist consciousness uh, was not what it could be. Uh, And the men themselves formed consciousness-raising groups in order to talk about their own sexism and in order to try to modify it. But there were plenty of men in GLF who scorned all of that, uh, who did believe in the gender binary, uh, who did believe that men were born for leadership uh, and women were born for domestic servitude. Uh, and the same is true of race. There were very, very few uh, black people in GLF. Uh, I mean, I, I, I don't think, I've never read anything, I should say, that... Uh, explains that satisfactorily, because, in fact, G- GLF was pro-Black Panthers. So it gets really complicated, because there, there were enough people conscious of race within GLF so that they had moved toward a radical solution to racial problems. Uh, so, I, for black people who were not attracted to the Black Panthers, and there were vast numbers, they considered the Black Panthers misguided, uh, both in their tactics and in their overall analysis. So, you know, it's, uh, it's life was not easy and smooth within GLF there was constant controversy mm-hmm. uh and a, num- a number of uh, the lesbians in the organization uh finally left uh and and they formed uh radical lesbians a whole separate organization
0: i i you know here's um i'll be more clear in my questions <laughs> like i just had so many thoughts after reading the book but uh you make some really great points professor if we were to ask you know the the movement to join in on all these issues that we want to prioritize like economic inequality race gender what would need to happen i, I mean how would we get if hrc is our national organization that can be the face of our movement what would they need to do? I mean, they currently have campaigns out that are asking for the five dollars, you know, here and there to support them in fighting against transgender bathroom bills. Um, they have okay. campaigns that suggest that they care about immigrants in this country, but yet we still we still have that question of, well, what what has the the gay movement done? I guess when it comes to this issue, this issue in today's time. Um, outside of calling attention to the president and his policies,
2: I, I think the activities of HRC in in relation to issues like immigration uh, is a quite recent phenomenon, uh, and has followed only because this their standing agenda of many years. Uh, the dual plank marriage in the military, uh, has won. Uh, So with all that money and all that staff, the next question is, uh, what do we do now? Uh, And I don't mean to say either that there aren't people connected to HRC who don't care passionately about issues relating to race and, and economics and, uh, and class uh, and gender. Uh, of course there are. Uh, I'm talking about the dominant tone of the organization down to the present day, though in the present day I agree with you. Uh, some of the literature that's coming out from HRC and some of the suggested new programs uh do point in what I at least would call uh, a more progressive direction.
1: Would you prefer to see a new national organization of some sort or one of these more radical local organizations maybe grow into a new national organization? Do you think that's a more tenable uh, or a, a more realistic way of, of addressing your concerns than HRC moving in your direction perhaps?
2: get back, I think, to the problem of the general populace, I mean, if we look at uh, earlier social movements in this country, uh, movements for for, uh, social justice, uh, a familiar pattern does emerge. Uh, I mean, just to cite a a couple of examples to explain what I mean— uh, if we look at the anti slavery movement in the mid 19th century, that movement was started by the so called abolitionists like William Lloyd Garrison and Wendell Phillips. These were people whose platform was slavery must be ended now, not tomorrow, not in the distant future, now. And it has to be ended without any compensation to slave owners. In other words, a decidedly militant platform. Then we ask the question, well, how, how did it end up? How were the slaves finally freed? They were freed because of Abraham Lincoln deciding to reprovision Fort Sumter uh, in 1861. In the interim period from the 1830s to the 18, 1861, uh, the abolitionists were attacked in the North, not in the South. Of course, they were attacked in the South, too, but I mean, uh, the North was also complicit. Uh, William Lloyd Garrison was dragged through a street by a mob and almost hanged from a lamppost. In other words, they were too radical for their society. I mean, take another movement, take feminism. Uh, Again, mid-19th century, the Seneca Falls Conference. Uh, The agenda that the women at Seneca Falls, like Susan B. Anthony, came up with was a much more radical agenda than what turned into... The suffragettes, 50 years later, their demand for the vote. They narrowed the whole platform down to a single issue, the vote. And what happened to slavery? Same thing. Uh, they narrowed the issue down to no further extension of slavery. That, that accounted for the birth of the Republican Party. That, that was its chief plank no further extension, but they guaranteed not to touch slavery where it already existed. Uh, And there were huge chunks of land south of the Mason-Dixon line where where slavery was was going to be still free to expand. What I'm getting at in giving these historical examples uh, is that time and time again in this country, uh a passionate, visionary movement will arise. And, and its adherents will be only a small number of the population, uh, though a very militant and devoted group. But over and over again, their, radical, their initial radical programs get watered down And who knows, if it hadn't been for a a Civil War breaking out, uh, we don't know how far South slavery would have expanded. We don't know if even today uh, we would not have uh, some form of indentured servitude. Some people would argue, in fact, we do have it. Uh, Anyway, I... Yeah. Hopefully, my point is clear. We come back over and over again to the essentially conservative nature of our culture.
0: Thank you. Uh, and that's ooh, that's I kind of where I was trying to trying to uh, get you
2: passionately radical uh, and want to make lives of many people uh, less le- less difficult. But over and over again, they are unable to reach a substantial constituency, and so their initial platforms get get watered down, and so what eventually comes out uh, represents some improvement in the status. Slavery will not be further extended, uh, but doesn't get rid of the institution. It doesn't get rid, in other words of the root problem.
0: That that's exactly what I was trying to get at uh, in this hour is to to talk about that. And while we're winding down on time, I mean, you know, what I want to pick out uh, in the book and what I saw as the failures, what comes to my mind, what I'm personally um I'm worried about is that yes, we've made some huge gains in our movement and it, as one of our audience members said, me, being able to do this show is part of the success of our movement. At the same time, some things that I think that we haven't been able to address and we definitely need to is that the complacency or or some of it, the attitudes of complacency with where we're at, when you have issues like religious liberty and these policies start to... Um, to enact over certain states and gives, and it gives people the ability to use religious liberty or religious freedom in order to discriminate. I mean, how, as a movement, are we then going to come together again after marriage equality to argue that that is, in fact, discrimination as more and more people are? Thinking about religious freedom as or I'm I'm sorry as gay rights if they're still thinking about it from a a second-class citizenship attitude and what I mean by that is from the social perspective somebody could say I support LGBTQ people I have LGBTQ friends and you know um, and and they are part of America and and I look at them like they're they have rights like I do. But at the same time, when it comes to religion, I can also understand that if somebody were to say, because, you know, of what the Bible says, I should be able to turn somebody away. So I think what I'm trying to say is that the, what the book does at least is give us some pause. It gives us a moment to think about how do we shape, you know, the questions of the next opportunities that will be, um, that will be discriminated upon. And if it, if it, If it goes further than just marriage, how do we get to a place where we can get everybody together again to argue against these types of issues? That's kind of where my mind went, is that there are very specific, small things that I don't think we're necessarily paying attention to, because if you have the big organizations like HRC stand and say this is discrimination, this is discrimination. And that's all we are saying. What about the folks in a lot of other states who really, you know, who have religion, who have, you know what, today is one of those days where I woke up and <laughs> I was doing way too many reading for too many people. But Martin, what I'm, what I'm getting at is it was a great book and you bring up some things that I think we all can look at ourselves in the mirror and ask, where are we in the movement? Um, that's what I was trying to get at.
2: Well, well, thanks. Uh, I, uh, I I mean, the, I, I, I think I know where you're coming from and what, what I'm left with, uh, is, is worry, uh, that a lot of, uh, gay people really feel the battle is over. Uh, that, you know, uh, you, you you pointed to, you know, I have gay friends and I have no problem with someone's sexuality. Uh, it's their life. Let them do what they want. And so, I mean, we do, we do hear those kinds of things all the time now. Uh, but what isn't happening, at least I don't think so, uh, what isn't happening is that what we as gay people have to contribute to the to the mainstream uh, is really not being listened to. Uh, it's not being incorporated. And we do have certain quite unique insights. Uh, outsiders always have very special insights uh, into mainstream culture. That mainstreamers themselves don't have about themselves, but the problem seems to me that all these liberal folks who are saying, "Oh, no, that's old hat. I mean, we're fine with with gay people. We have no problem. I mean, you know, a gay couple was over for dinner just last week. Uh, that's not good enough." Mm-hmm. Uh, what did they talk about?
0: <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I was trying to say. I'm, I'm, there's the there's do also really complacency with our even our allies. Um, uh, you know, in, that has a lot to do with with media. Uh, if you don't really truly understand, kind of the way things work, I know John's uh, giving well, me a certain I, look.
1: Only because I think I don't want to sell short the the many straight allies who and and such who who are pastors who've been performing same-sex marriages, sorry, but they've been, you know, even when it could result in them and often did result in them losing their jobs. Mm-hmm. And the people who, the parents who have stood up for their, their gay and lesbian and trans kids long before it became, you know, the thing to do. Um, this is not a... Absolutely, yeah. yeah I mean, th- there actually has been progress made in, in society. I, I do think what you, you're you've really put a... Uh, your thumb on the fact that the the lure of the radical solution has dissipated, and I think it's it's continue it, to be honest. And, and I do not define myself as a radical, but I've I've been kind of paying attention to this over my lifetime, and I'm in between you and Michelle. Um, <laughs> that you know, it's I, I kind of would have thought that you talked about kind of impossible swing back in a radical direction. I kind of thought that would have happened before now. I expected it at various times, and instead, it just kind of keep it. You, you know, we, it really kind of supports your your dis- description of our society as kind of like, you know, fundamentally conservative in that sense because it it does seem that swing hasn't happened, you know, since the early seventies, and and I, I'm I, not sure when it yeah, will.
0: And I guess I don't mean like allies and and your community, your friends. I mean, as in. Our political leaders um we've got know,
1: super got more out lesbians and gays and increasingly transgender people and ever i'm and mind you i'm not saying right. oh my god everything's great i'm saying it is different from what it was in 1979
0: it is very different but political so political leaders uh you know who once if they didn't support marriage equality that was one of the things that they were afraid about because if they didn't support marriage equality they didn't get certain endorsements they didn't get certain cash funding Uh, um and uh, and, uh, hold hold on (laughs) so political leaders and i'm talking about that i think that we should continue to put pressure on and i'm talking about those of us who are you know um, so-called uh democrats who are in big positions of power people who are ceos people who have Yes, exorbitant amount of wealth who say, therefore, LGBTQ rights um, just kind of are. I I guess what I'm trying to say is you, you when you get to a place where you think you've already done it all, you've done enough and you're making change within your community. What what happens when the next big thing is starting to happen? And my fear is that the next big thing is this big policy that gives people out a reason to discriminate. And that's based off of religion, which in a lot of States in America, outside of California and New York, there's a lot of people that can get behind saying, yeah. um,
2: I actually don't think there are all that many people. What I want to say will, uh, will seem to come from out of the blue, uh, but hopefully I can make it relevant. Uh, While while you both were talking, uh, what popped into my head was, uh, (laughs) please please forgive me. I'll try to make sense of this. What popped into my head was the Weimar Republic, uh, Germany in the 1920s. Uh, What was going on in Germany in the 1920s was that uh, the prosperous element, at least in the Jewish population. was very self-congratulatory. They felt that they had been all but fully accepted into the mainstream culture of the Republic. Uh, They were prospering. They were holding down, in some cases, a point of office. Walter Rathenau, a Jew, was prime minister of Germany at the time. And when Nazism began its rise, it was widely felt, in the Jewish world of Germany, that this is a temporary aberration. Uh, I mean, we are thoroughly integrated into the culture. They are not going to turn on their own citizens. I think therein lies a cautionary lesson. That we do not become too complacent about the actual depth of the acceptance of gay people in this country, let alone elsewhere in the world. I mean, we're we're talking about our country, but let's not forget that the plight of gay people elsewhere in the world uh, is dismally worse than it is here. What I'm saying, though, relates to what's going on here And I'm asking that we not be very complacent uh, in the face of this new acceptance, because I think not far below the surface of that lies the same old homophobia that we used to have to cope with when it was expressing itself in a far more overt way.
0: Martin, I want to thank you so much for joining us here on the program. We've ran out of time, but I want to give John, because I love John, some final thoughts. But we'll say thank you and goodbye to you. And the book, if you're interested in reading it, is Has the Gay Movement Failed by Martin Duberman. Out so, now? Uh, yeah, it is out. Yes, it's available.
1: Uh, John. I really didn't have anything to add. I, I cut was... you
0: off, and I, I just, you know, I love <laughs> no, no, no. doing this I, show with. I thought you.
1: Dr. Duberman had the great wrap up there, so.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much for joining the Michelle meow Show. This will air four o'clock Pacific Standard Time on Progressive Voices Network. We'll be back next week at the Commonwealth Club. For everything else, you can head to MichelleMiao.com. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com.